So if we know CPL is going to be inflated because we have to move quick to get these folks in the funnel and we have to compete for these folks, we got to make sure we're going to convert them at the highest level on, on the back end. Welcome to Attention Retention, a special podcast series on how to attract, enroll, retain, and empower the modern learner, brought to you in partnership with our friends at Archer Education. Over the course of this series, we will cover higher ed's product problem and discuss how to fix it, the challenges with major and program relevance in today's dynamic market, how to successfully attract, enroll, and retain adult learners, and how to compete in a market when your school doesn't have a national brand. This series is co-hosted with Angie Moore, the Senior Vice President of Student Engagement, and Clayton Dean, the Senior Vice President of Agency and Partnership Management at Archer. And also with yours truly, Zach Buzicruz here from Enrollify. Attention Retention is comprised of six episodes, but the content doesn't need to be consumed sequentially. That said, if you want to listen in chronological order, be sure to scroll on down to the show notes where you'll find every episode listed and linked. Getting attention is hard enough, so once you have it, you've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Well, you'll get a taste of some of their ideas on how to optimize marketing and recruitment strategies over the course of this series in order to really learn more about how Archer revolutionizes the student experience through marketing, enrollment, and retention services, you'll want to check out the content hub they built exclusively for Enrollify subscribers. You can find this content hub at archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. All right, without further ado... Welcome to Attention Retention. All right, folks, we are back with another episode of Attention Retention. So, Clayton, Angie, how are we doing? How are we doing today? Doing great. Other than the fact that Clayton was just telling me he's in like a terrible co-working space and has been like in (laughs) fluorescent lighting for like eight hours. So, um... Other, is, and the coffee is terrible. And, and the, the coffee, coffee is terrible. terrible. Okay. Well, <laughs> note to self, don't so go Clayton's to... Clayton's having a great day. Yeah. yeah don't, don't go to whatever co-working space in Florida Clayton is at. Um, we'll be respectful and we'll, we won't drop the name of the brand. Um, <laughs> but guys, I, I'm excited for, for today's episode because, you know, in the spirit, the, the series is called Attention Retention. And I thought it would be fun to kind of kick us off by talking a little bit about like what things currently have our respective attention. So like, you know, when you guys think about the content and, and media that you regularly consume, you know, what what if anything has has changed from the content and media that you consumed just like a few years ago, like five, in, in the last five years or so, how have your media consumption habits changed if at all, everything I feel like in my media consumption habits have changed in the last five years. And I think one of the reasons for that is because five years ago was pre COVID. Hmm. And even just that in and of itself has completely changed how I consume um, media, the things that I want to interact with online. Um, I personally, like, I have young kids. So, 
I am much more into anything that's going to be convenient for me Mm. fast. Um, I'm much more comfortable purchasing almost anything online. Like five years ago, I would, you know, I don't, I don't remember if mattresses were being sold online all that much, but certainly if those brands were emerging, I was probably very much like, no, I would never do that. (laughs) That's so silly. And now it's like, yes, I am comfortable reading reviews and buying a mattress online. If it means I don't have to leave the house and figure out what to do with these kids and, you know, be safe and all that fun stuff. And then the other part of that is just that within within that same kind of mindset or shift to like being comfortable doing more things online and wanting convenience, I also have just much higher expectations for what that should all look like and feel like. And, you know, I need to make sure I can get that information really quickly. Do you have the reviews on your website? Like if there's information I'm looking for and I can't find it, I'm probably just going to go on to the next thing. So I just, I was really trying to sit here and think about what life was like five years ago. It's hard to even remember just because (laughs) of the impact of COVID, but I just, I feel like everything has changed in terms of the way that I consume information, media, marketing, all the above. I'll say, yeah, kids, I think are a huge, like for me have really impacted. I have to be efficient with my time, right? So it's like, I listen to audible books while I cook and drive and, you know, it's like the only time I can, I can consume anything, you know? So it's funny thinking about it, about it now, if I put myself in the shoes of like, you know, who we're targeting from a, you know, from a student perspective and they're living the same life. It's like, wow, if, if I were targeting myself, it'd be like email, maybe if I would open it maybe Instagram when I'm on there twice a week, you know, randomly and podcasts would probably be really great. I I listen to a lot of the podcasts, you know? So it's like, it's funny to think about that, but my, yeah, it's totally different than five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys like, what about content like format at all? Like, are do you, do you guys, do you guys feel like you consume more video than you did five years ago? Do you feel like it's less video? Is it more audio? Like, in terms of content format, have have there been any shifts there? I'm like, I'd say predominantly audio. I I miss the boat on YouTube and video. Like, I don't even think about it. Yeah, I don't even yeah, think yeah, about yeah. it. I I'm a podcast guy, Audible, and then I'll read my Kindle. Like, if I'm so, actually going to read something. So you're not on TikTok, Clayton? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm a, I'm afraid of it. Just knowing what I know about that algorithm, I'm yeah. like, I yeah. I, I don't have an hour to burn on that platform every <laughs> day, so I'm going to yeah. avoid it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would I would tend to agree. I feel like more audio, but I do, you know, I do still watch videos too, but I am definitely now like 100% audio books. Mm. I listen to podcasts too, but like when I say I've read a book, I've listened to a book mm. 99.9% of the time. So yeah, that's, a, that's a big one that's changed for me. And podcasts. I mean, I'm definitely listening listening to a ton more podcasts than I was five years ago. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, fantastic insights. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, divulging a little bit about how you spend your limited free time in terms of content consumption. Um, but w- what I really wanted to talk about today is, you know, thinking lot lots of schools people working in marketing admissions are are always looking for like a you know silver bullet answer to like where should i spend my like i've got hundred thousand dollars to spend on this campaign like where should i spend it right and you know any any decent consultant um 
I think like we've already said like on uh, throughout this podcast series, like we'll say, well, it depends. Like, what are your goals? Like, you know, you know, who is the audience? What is your product? Like, what are you promoting, et cetera? And obviously that like that, that is so true. But, you know, when you guys think about where folks should be spending their time right now when it comes to trying to capture and ultimately like retain the attention of of prospects and i'll let you guys pick the demo like the demographic here whether you want to talk about a traditional undergrad audience or a grad audience or a degree completion audience like if a client were to come to you like somebody who had high trust in both of you right and they were to say clayton angie like look you guys know me you know my programs like i've got a hundred thousand dollars to spend and i need more inquiries like i need i need leads like where where is that money being spent? Not based off of what you know people read in the headlines, but like based off of what you know mm-hmm. to be true. Like, how would you advise this client, this this friend of yours, to spend that hundred k? I think I alluded to this in a, a couple episodes ago, but I think your your kind of core platforms are going anywhere, and I think are still really critical, right? Your Google search, we we know exactly who who we can target within Google search. Um, you know, so I think. I think those platforms aren't going anywhere. And I think it's, I, I think we're confident enough in our ability and our execution and, and from a strategic approach, we know we can still produce results there and we can still stick within CPL goals and, you know, we can still do what we need to do. Right. But I think what happens. So if, if I was given a hundred K budget and it was for the next cohort, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we're going to help them exceed goals for that next cohort. But I'm also one area I focus on, I think as a whole, are, you know, we live and die by enrollment numbers for the next cohort, but we don't think much past that, right? And I think what what my objective would be is just to kind of kick out that thinking a little bit more long-term. I think we don't put enough emphasis on, I, I, I'm speaking, we as, as the industry, around thinking about long-term sustainability, right? And, mm-hmm. and long-term growth and organic really comes into play there. And, and so when I am working with somebody, especially a long-term partner, you know, organic is an area we we really try to invest in as early as we can. So I take part of that budget and, and really start looking at long-term, how do we set them up so that the next cohort, we have a funnel of students that are, are you know, we can bake in 25% of that, you know, enrollment number just from that, you know, just from organic, right? Yeah, and let's yeah. focus on nurturing the top of funnel. Um, so, you know, I would approach it in that way and, and, think a bit more long-term on how we can establish a really healthy pipeline for the long-term between organic and, you know, from a nurturing perspective, if, if, you know, we're investing in, in Facebook, yes, we can capture folks further down the funnel, but it's overwhelmingly, you know, it's usually going to be a lot of top of funnel folks, but yeah. really it's our job to, to make sure we keep those folks engaged. So, you know, two or three starts down the road, you know, we're in a much better position and, and we're able to, um, you know, drive a lot more value and, and, you know, just help our team on the other side sleep a little bit better knowing they only need to, you know, tackle half of that enrollment goal because that pipeline's already there for them, right? Last week, I finally finished season two of Ted Lasso. When the series had come to an end, it was only 9.45 p.m., which meant I had a solid 45 minutes before it was time to go to sleep. I don't know if there was a glitch in the recommendation algorithm or something, but there was no opportunity to keep watching Apple TV. I was engaged. I wasn't ready to go to bed. I was willing to give Apple more of my time because I wanted more lasso-like content in my life. 
but they led me to a dead end. So I left and started browsing Netflix instead. And while the journey to enrollment for a student is quite different from binging an Emmy award-winning TV series, all institutions and streaming services actually care about the same thing. And that thing is attention. If you work in student recruitment, you're in the market for eyeball time. You're not just competing with other institutions, you're competing with every brand that's in the market for views, clicks, and scrolls from your target audience. Getting attention is hard enough. So once you have it, You've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Archer is pioneering a new era in personalized student recruitment through its story-driven and technology-enabled approach that's designed to support the entire enrollment process. And one of the ways that Archer is doing this is through Onward, their digital experience platform. Onward is a dead-end squasher. It's a choose-your-own-adventure-style experience that replaces your static thank-you pages with an always-on system that pre-qualifies every prospect, so your admissions team can focus their efforts on those inquiries that are engaged right now. Onward is the secret in the toolbox of top-performing admissions teams. It's the attention optimizer that keeps prospects engaged and inspires them to offer more context about who they are, what they want, and when they're looking to enroll. To learn more about how to harness attention when it's hot, visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's archereducation.com forward slash enrollify. Oh, and if you're struggling to get attention from prospects, the Archer team has a plethora of digital advertising solutions in their arsenal that'll help you reach the precise students that you're looking for. And if you haven't discovered it already, Enrollify and Archer have partnered on a brand new podcast series called Attention Pretension. Learn more about attention retention wherever you get your podcasts or at podcast.enrollify.org. Get attention, keep attention, hit your enrollment targets. Visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify to learn more. When you when you guys think about um, lead gen, how, how important like is is like lead time uh, with respect to, to lead gen? Meaning like if a client comes to you and it's January and they need to recruit a class for fall, right? Like does that affect or change like the channel or, or, or tactics that you'd use? Like Facebook, you just said, you mentioned, uh, Clayton, like great for, you know, top of the funnel, sort of like Legion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. ideally you're going out with content. You're getting someone to download a resource or watch a video. You're capturing them when they're still kind of at like that awareness stage in, you know, the, the student journey. And you might be relying on 12 to 24 months to be able to kind of nurture that port, you know, nurture that contact to the point of enrollment. Whereas if you've only got mm-hmm. like six months or five months or four months, like how do you guys think about like changing strategy based off of, um, you know, lead time that you have, uh, the, the time that you have to nurture that, that lead into an enrolled student? If we're talking more about the adult learners, um, degree completers, or even just non-traditional students, the enrollment timeline for the adult market typically is actually a lot shorter. Mm. So just to kind of keep that in mind that um, a lot of times once um, a prospective student has filled out an RFI on that side of things, online programs, you know, again, adult students, degree completers, um, they're actually looking to move forward a little bit quicker. So I just, I think keeping that in mind is important too when, when thinking about this. Um, So, yeah. No, a hundred percent. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's super, super important. And you know, I, I've heard that too. And I, I, I can't remember the stat 
but it's on the tip of my tongue too. It's, it's some ridiculous percentage. Like it, it's significantly yeah. higher higher than like a traditional uh, graduate program. But uh, yeah, Clayton, anything else you'd add there? Yeah, I will say I always look through most of what I'm talking about is through the lens of, of graduate and online graduate. Yep. Um, just to, that's the world I, I live in. So just a, a reference point there. But yeah, so I think strategically it would be a, it would be a lot different if we had a short timeline versus you know even six months and or, or more. Our strategy might change quite a bit. So we might focus more on demand generation versus demand capture. And I think what what we do is set the expectation. You know, most of the time we can we can deliver. We know we can we can execute. We know you know we know what's realistic in terms of what we can deliver, right? And, um, you know, so we'll set the expectation around that, around, you know, the enrollment goal is 50 based on the timeline, you know, let's let's adjust expectations on what's realistic if we have a really short timeline. Yeah. Our cost per enrollment might be inflated a little bit because we're going to have to go to those demand generation channels where we know the students are, we're just going to have to pay more for them, yeah. right? Yeah. So. And I think what we'll do at that point is make sure that, you know, we've, I think we've talked a lot about this in our, in, in this podcast as a whole is just what's happening on the, on the post RFI side of things. Right. So if we know CPL is going to be inflated because we have to move quick to get these folks in the funnel and we have to compete for these folks, we got to make sure we're going to convert them at the highest level on, on the back end. Right? Yeah. So we'll do a lot of work, even if, even if that's not part of our scope, we'll do a lot of work to make sure that that's even feasible. Like we won't take on a project if that infrastructure isn't there. We can send you know a, you know every lead possible, and and they may not be successful. So we want to make sure that our partners are successful, and we can add you know as much value as we can to make sure that infrastructure is there because we can hit the gas on on getting the right leads and getting you know getting the the funnel that they need. Um, but really, it really boils down to what happens on the other side once they're once they're in the funnel and, and how efficient, effective we are on, on that front. Yeah, I think looking at it from the enrollment lens, you know, there's do you have enough time to nurture the prospective students and get them all the information they need to feel comfortable and confident about making the next step or taking the next step? And do you have an amount of time that isn't too long to where you might lose uh, interest or, you know, um, that that idea of like the future self you know if, if it's not immediate enough are they still going to stay engaged and commit make that commitment knowing that they're not going to start for another eight months um so yep. making sure to or those that have enrolled that they actually start classes so i think on the enrollment side when it comes to nurturing and keeping uh students engaged there's a um you know a little bit of a needle to thread there in terms of getting it right making sure that you've got enough time and that if you have, you know, um, a lot of time, maybe some extra time, what are you going to do? You can't just let that communication stop off once they've enrolled. What can you do to help keep them engaged and make sure that they show up and start the program? If we have a longer window of time, like strategically, what we're going to focus on is more of an integrated approach, right? So we're going to look at how do we most effectively engage at the lowest cost, but there's less pressure to generate high quality leads in a short amount of time. So strategically, you know, if we have six, eight months, which is typically what, what I look for, especially for working with a new partner, right? If we have six months to, you know, to, to be in market, we can, you know, we can really drive a lot of value in, in that scenario. And it's, there's less pressure to, to move as quickly. So we'll look at 
you know, what are those other channels that we can diversify and, and look for cheaper traffic or, or higher engagement, right? It might be lower volume, but they're higher quality, right? And, and there's just a little bit more of a runway to approach it from that angle. So I think we can drive a lot more ROI if we have a, lo- a little bit of a longer runway. I think we can still, you know, we can still do that in the, in the short term, but I think the focus very much becomes how do we get as many leads as possible? And, and there are realities associated with that. But again, I think if, if the right pieces are in place, then, then um, you know, we can still make it work. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I, you're you're hitting. You guys are both are hitting on all the things that um, that I think are important to hit on here. And I think what I would just add is to to echo what you all are, what you both are saying. I think it's really important for folks tuning in when talking to leadership, like or or if you are sort of a, a VP or, or CMO or you're you're heading up the enrollment team, and you are in a position of power to really really understand like the reason it's it, it might cost more right or the reason it the the leads you might get in that in that window of time might the 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 quantity might be might be lower is simply because you have to move forward with decision stage tactics like right out right out of the gate you don't have the time or the luxury to attract them with a pretty video and then three weeks later retarget them with like a offer to download a program guide and then you know three weeks after that then hit them up with a you know an application like you know push to apply or application waiver like add on their insta like you just you don't have the time for any of that and so you have to start with like you know, the app fee waiver, you've got to start with like that, that promotion that's typically like reserved a little bit more, you know, for once you've introduced yourself or you've introduced the program over a longer window of time. And therefore it's just going to cost more because getting in front of people that are willing to make decision stage, take decision stage actions, that audience is just more expensive, let alone the keywords that you're going to have to bid on, right? Like you can't afford to like bid on like awareness stage keywords. You've got to bid specifically on like you know, evening MBA programs or hybrid MBA programs and the cost per click on those keywords are ridiculous, right? So like, I think it's just really important to understand. I think sometimes people go into like this, like mindset where they're like, let's do a last minute, like enrollment blitz, right? Like, let's just do a, our numbers are down. Like we just need to do a blitz. Like, and what they don't understand is like, what, what a blitz will require is like pure decision stage tactics. And oftentimes like they're not even internally prepared to handle that. Like all of a sudden they get, you know, a, a bunch of inquiries that are ready to make a decision, right? More or less, or have decision stage questions. And then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we don't have the staff or the team or the resources to like answer all these questions. Like, and yet I think, that, yep. I think like there would be, it, it would be worth like putting out a whole like, I don't know, case study or, or having a whole podcast specifically devoted to like how to do blitz campaigns well, because I, th- I think that like folks just don't understand everything that it takes to, to run one of these campaigns and, and why they cost so much. Like they cost so much, yep. not because, you know, it, it's, you're, you're paying your agency partner or your team is going to be spending more time. It's not that they're spending more time. It's that the, the, the tactics and strategies that they have to implement are way more aggressive and quite frankly are just in channels and or are bidding on keywords that are just significantly more expensive. Well said. And, and if you look at it, it's a much smaller pool of, of uh, you know, individuals that you're able to target as well. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it's, like, it's a, it's, it's a supply and demand issue. And, and, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, programs in the market now that are competing for that same pool. There's, you're not the only one looking, you know, trying to target those individuals further down the funnel. Right. So, 
Um, yeah, when you have three months before a start, that's really, really, it's a really tough proposition. And I would recommend, again, just setting the right expectations around, you know, with leadership of, of what to expect, because you're going to pay more, you're going to have lower volume. Um, and it's really a matter of, of what's, what's going to be realistic. I love the idea of doing a whole podcast on how to run a blitz and do it well, yeah. because I think, you know, we were talking about this on a, on another episode, but more inquiries doesn't necessarily equal more enrollments. So yeah. you've gone yeah. out, mm -hmm. spent all this additional money because that's what you need to do um, to, to attract and acquire, you know, inquiries that are ready to make a decision. But, you know, what happens to that lead when it comes in to your CRM? How are you following up with them? How are you making sure that, um, they can take the next step and apply and enroll. Do you, do they understand how to apply and enroll? Is that information clear on your website? Are you following up with that type of information? So, you know, I think even just looking at and understanding before you would ever attempt doing something like that, what's my lead to app rate? What's my app to enroll rate? Because yeah, if we get yeah. more inquiries in the funnel, neither of those things can go down. What do we need to do to make sure those at least stay the same? Or what can we do to tick those two conversion rates up? by creating a better experience. I would love to talk. Uh, I could talk about that, I think, at nauseum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think what's also important for, for especially like leadership to, to remember is like, when like when, when you're targeting, especially if these are new prospects, like you're trying to acquire names and uh, email addresses for the first time, and you're, let's say, doing things on, on, on Facebook, for instance, like, if you're setting up your campaigns, right, like you're optimizing for like people that are willing to like make a purchase, essentially, like people that are willing to, right, actually go and like, let's say, buy a product online after they see a Facebook or, or Insta campaign, like if you're setting up a decision stage campaign, the criteria that you're using on the platforms is, is optimizing for that kind of scroller, right, like that kind of user. And guess who else is targeting that kind of user? Any brand that is selling a product mm -hmm. on social, right? So it's like, you're competing with other people like D2C brands who have significantly more money, right? And, and budget to kind of target these customers and, and their cost per, you know, yeah. customers significantly lower, obviously, but like you're now running against those people, right? And, and running up against those people. Whereas when you're focused on awareness campaigns, right? Your, your competition, right? Is, is just, is just less. So I think it's really important that people understand, understand this when getting, um, when getting into a blitz campaign, because if you don't understand this from the outset, it's probably better, quite frankly. And like, you know, I, I might get shot for saying this, but like, it, it's probably better to like save your money, like, and save your resources and, and spend it better next year. And just, just take the loss, yep. like take the loss. Cause otherwise you're going to spend gobs of money. Everyone's going to end up mad because no one understood how much effort that this required. Yeah. And the competition is just so, is just so stiff. So I know, I know we're getting off on like blitz campaigns here, but like, I just think that it's super important. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth and, and I've recommended that when we had a partner who approached us with a large sum of money and my, uh, to, for a blitz campaign. And I said, listen, you're going to waste half of this budget. Let's look at how we can deploy that. So next year you're not in the same position where, you know, you're short 25% on, yeah. on the enrollment side. And I, I think, frankly, like, unless you're coming into a large bucket of money or, you know, some tactics that you budgeted for didn't come to fruition, I mean, ultimately, you, you want to get to the end of the year where you've utilized that budget as wisely as you can. And if you have a large surplus at the end, um, and I know some, you know, it's a use it or lose it kind of, kind of scenario, but, you know, what we'll do is see how we can budget and kick that to the next year. Let's pre-bill and let's kick that into, 
you know, SEO or something yeah. that we know will produce long-term value. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's totally spot on. And I, I honestly, at this point, I've, I've learned enough of these blitz campaigns. Yeah. I've, I've learned that I usually don't like signing up for them because it puts everybody in a really tough situation. And I think the prep work and the foundation that needs to be set even before flipping on a, a blitz campaign needs to be really, really strong yeah. from data tracking and attribution and infrastructure on the enrollment side, because I've, I've seen so many uh, partners struggle with that um, when they push that much volume through. I was just going to add too. you know, one thing that consumer brands tend to do really well, especially with like retargeting and some of the social advertising that a lot of institutions aren't doing or doing well today is, you know, think about this uh, shopping cart abandonment. Mm. You know, these consumer brands, they know that you've put an item in your shopping cart or that you went this far with that process but didn't complete your purchase. There are a lot of institutions that we partner with that don't know or don't track or can't track for whatever reason, don't have an application started metric in their CRM or a way to track that. And think about what you could do if you could retarget, remarket to, and better nurture those that you know got that far. They started their application but didn't finish it. Um, So I think that is definitely an area where um, institutions need to invest time, energy, money to figure out how to do it, whether it's, you know, a common app. I know there are a lot of challenges sometimes with getting that kind of piece of information or that data point. But if you know that someone think about how effective abandoned cart follow up messaging is and how many times it's worked for you as a consumer, um, I think there's a stat out there that says the first time that, you know, you put something in your shopping cart, the abandonment rate's like 80%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So follow it, being able to follow up with that and say, we know that you're this far, you know, and helping that person take the next step in their application is, could be super powerful. And it's much more personalized too than following up to just generate a lead again. They've already started their application. You need to know that don't start over with them. And, and again, it's just back to this idea of like where to put your money and time and investment versus just like generating more leads. Yeah. And on, on that note too, I think that this is just a good, you're hitting on something that's super important, Angie, which is like a reminder that just because somebody's ignoring you in one channel doesn't mean that they're ignoring you or would ignore you in another. Like I think about like my own content consumption behavior and like there are newsletters that I get every day that like I just like don't read, right? I, I just, I really don't read, read these newsletters and they're from people and or brands that I actually really care about. So I, I, I'll follow and like I'll read these people's tweets or I'll read their LinkedIn posts, but I never read their email newsletter, right? So like according to their CRM, like my my engagement, right, with them and, and, and their brand like is is minimal, like if, if at all. I, I probably fall into that like unengaged list. And yet this person has an incredible or this brand has an incredible amount of influence over me. I'm just consuming their thoughts in a different channel, right? And so all, all that is to say is that like, I think what you're hitting on is like, yeah, whether it's uploading that list of applicants or app starts or whatever, doing a look like, you know, campaign on Facebook or whatever it might be like, remember that like the content that you post on social, like you, you don't schools do a terrible job of understanding, like how many people on their list, like their prospect prospective student list are following them on social. Like that's, that's very hard for, for folks to, to, to know. Um, And yet I think it's just a reminder that like making sure that, you know, just, just because you're, you're, just because you your numbers are down, the the sole answer is not just Facebook 
inquiry, you know, campaign generation and or 10 more email blasts. Like there are lots of other channels. There are lots of other things that you need to be doing that you should be doing because you don't know who might be consuming that information and how that information or that video might actually influence them to, to take that next step. Absolutely. I think even just to that point, the, the inquiries that you already have that didn't convert for your last start are a great place to start and just reconnecting and following up. Yeah. Um, even if you don't see, you know, um, even, you know, if it's 10% that you get that are re-engaged and, and ready to take the next step, that's still successful. You didn't have to spend another dollar generating that, that lead. Right. So there's so many opportunities to look at gaps in your funnel. I think it's also really what you spoke to about just channel, the different channels that you consume, you know, we're, we all have our preferences. It's so much harder for marketers these yeah. days to be everywhere for everyone and hit them at the time that, you know, it's that they're there consuming that information. So there's no room for inefficiency. You've got to be smart. You have to be strategic. You have to use the, the channels that you see are working. Um, and you have to make sure again, that you, that you understand your, um, your funnel, right. And your conversions and where people are dropping off and fixing, you know, what, what is it about the experience that's making them drop off at this point? What can we do to, to bring that percentage up even by, you know, five, 10%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to dive into a question just around like social channel spend, right? So like, like one of the most common questions that listeners and subscribers ask is like, like, Hey, how should I spend my social budget? Or like, Hey, I've got, you know, uh, I'm sticking with a hundred thousand dollars just cause it's easy. I'm, I've got a hundred thousand dollars, right. To spend on social media campaigns this year. Like where should I spend it? Like, how do you guys, obviously again, it depends. And it depends on like, if you're representing one program or a number of programs, it depends on your audience, et cetera. But like, like, how do you guys talk to your clients about like diversification, um, and, and having sort of like, uh, a, you know, distributed portfolio, so to speak with respect to where they're spending money. Like, are you guys of the mindset that, Hey, it's because we're going after adult students, grad students, you know, um, degree completion audiences here, like spending money on Facebook is where you should spend 90 to 95% of your budget. And then everything else goes to, you know, a little bit of, you know, to Snapchat, a little bit to Twitter here and there, or like, how do you, how do you guys think about advising schools on like where to spend their, their money when it comes to social? Usually it's, it's going to be blended. We very rarely will, will spend a hundred percent of budget in social and social platforms. So it's usually some sort of split between search and social yeah. from a paid perspective. We always split it between the two yep. just again, from, from a user intent perspective. And, you know, I think, um, you know, it, it, I'd say it kind of fluctuates. So, typically like a 60 40 search to social 70 30 search to social it kind of depends on you know it really depends on the program some audiences respond better you know like a, a master's in accounting a linkedin you know linkedin campaign might be a, a, a bit stronger right so we'll, we'll that'll fluctuate and honestly we'll we'll come out of the gates usually at like a 70 30 split or 60 40 and then we'll kind of see how things go, right? If, if we're getting a lot of traction in, in social, we'll ramp that up and, and you know, kind of double down on where we're seeing traction um, or where we're driving, you know, we're able to blend between 
quality down funnel and cost if we're, you know, it might cost a little bit more out of some of these social channels, um, but we're seeing better performance down funnels. So we'll, we'll adjust budget accordingly, but yeah. it's very rarely going to be all in on, on social, like our, our, our team on that, you know, just from that perspective, I don't, I don't know many scenarios where they would do that. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I think the blended approach, you know, we're also very much of the, of the mindset of not, you know, putting all our eggs in one basket. There's too much risk. There's not enough leverage to pull. Um, so we're going to diversify that as, as best we can. And we're going to look for those, you know, emerging platforms where we might be able to capture, you know, traffic at a lower cost. And um, that's really where, again, we kind of have that core of, of search and social, and then we'll diverge on testing different platforms, um, you know, wh whether it's social platforms or, or what have you um that we either know for a fact that our, our our audience is active on or we might you know have a hypothesis and we're going to test it out to, to see so we'll we'll keep a little bit of that budget too i'd recommend you know five or ten percent of your budget if you can if you can afford that if you can do it to, to test and just you need to leave a little room to test or otherwise you're going to get stuck in that mode of this is how we've always done it we know we can generate xyz from these channels but what's going to happen over time, especially if, if you're putting all your money into, you know, Google search and Facebook is those costs are just going to go up, going yeah. to go up incrementally. So you're just going to have to throw more and more money for less and less returns. So you need to leave some room to test and be comfortable with that and be comfortable organizationally with, Hey, this, this might fail, but it's a small percentage of our budget. We're going to learn a lot that can inform, you know, our, our efforts down funnels. So I think it's just, you know, looking at it from from that perspective, um, I would recommend you know, more of a diverse approach um, to that budget allocation. I know it might be frustrating to hear that it depends, it depends, it depends. But I think, you know, if if anybody out there is ever saying like, you know, it should always look like this, I, you know, don't trust that person because yeah. it really does depend on the program, and the market that you're in and who you're trying to reach and market to. Um, so yeah, I think it can be frustrating to know that you have to do the work, put in the work, do the homework, figure out, you know, the audience. But I think to Clayton's point too, like the testing piece is so critical because I mean, Zach, you were just talking about how there are so many channels now and from program to program, you might see, um, you know, certain types of content or media or channels work better because that audience for whatever reason is more geared towards that type of video versus audio or, you know, TikTok versus uh, Facebook. Um, so, you know, you think, you know, something when you're starting out, but always, always testing to find where you can kind of make inroads and, and um, get more out of your budget and just do more of what works. I think it's really important too. Um, and we do that on the enrollment side too, right? When you're, when a lead comes in and you start to follow up and you see that certain types of prospective students like to engage via text SMS campaigns, like let's do more of that. Let's make sure that we're reaching out that way. Um, I mean, really when you get into to that piece of it, it should be more of the kind of one-to-one -one level, what some person has indicated that they're more comfortable communicating. But I think across the board, you really have to you know, monitor and optimize based on what you can test and learn into. These are all such great insights. And I, I think that like one of the, one of the missing, one of the things that just like doesn't get talked enough about is 
the balance between paid search and and organic and like you know i i know that you guys are great and and proponents of of like both and you guys have like a really robust uh seo team i just talked to ray on your team on a recent podcast uh here on enrollify and it was like i I learned a ton he's he's wonderful but i'd love you guys' thoughts on on how schools think about the balance between paid and and organic over like a three-year window like I guess uh, maybe a better way of phrasing this question is how do schools wisely um, divest themselves from paid and or and or like spending money on specific groupings of, 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 of keywords, right? Specific personas, even when it comes to paid search. Um, how, how, how do schools wisely do that? Like what needs to be in place with respect to kind of an organic foundation in order for that in order for that to happen and like from your experience what does that what does that look like like how does that shift work um and how do how do you all recommend like schools think about think about that horizon and think about that that window of in order to spend less you've got to spend some if, you, if you're a nobody right and you want to be a somebody you got to spend a little bit to to become a somebody but as you become a somebody right how do you make sure that you're doing the good work so that you can stop paying Google and start like reaping the benefits of, of that earned traffic. Yeah. I think you have to get really good at illustrating the value long-term internally, because I think you do have to sacrifice a little bit on the, if budget is an issue, if budget's not an issue, that's a whole other thing. But if you're working with a finite amount of money, the tricky part with SEO is you can't just throw a couple thousand dollars at it a month and be successful. Yeah. So you you have you have to you have to invest, and you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year necessarily, right? You can do it in a reasonable way, and but I think you really have to first understand where where you currently stand, right? Like, what is it really going to take? What's realistic? And and I think that's a really important first question to ask. And Work with a consultant if you don't have anybody internal who can tell you that. But I think an analysis and understanding of here's how we currently rank. Here's here's you know the amount of traffic we're currently generating. Here's our current footprint and you know how much real estate we actually own in Google right now. Here's what our competitors look like. Right, you know when it when you when it comes to like an MBA program, an online MBA program, there are, there are schools out there that have had websites that have been doing SEO aggressively for 15 years, right? So yeah, yeah. it's very, very difficult to, to do a lot there. That's not to say there's not opportunity. If you have a specialization, that can open up a whole new door of opportunity that may be less competitive. We can target you know, long tail search terms. So instead of online MBA, we're, we're targeting people who are looking for you know, an online MBA and in, in environmental protection, right? Yeah, and yeah. a lot less competitive, you design your strategy around that. But I think you first have to really know where you are and what it's going to take in order to, to see meaningful month over month, you know, organic growth. And I'd say from what I've seen and and, and our experiences with it, it's, you know, it's it can fluctuate, I guess, de- depending on the program and how competitive the market is, from like six months to, you know, almost two years to really see a, a meaningful return, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah. That's a pretty broad, broad window, but a broad range there. But I think, you know, if you can kind of set the expectation and I think if you know it is going to be really competitive, you can design a strategy around that where you may not generate as much volume as as you would like, but you at least know that traffic you generate is going to be really high quality and and 
you don't you may not need as much volume. You may not need to target the online MBA keyword in order to accomplish your goals. Um, so I'd say you know there there is a you know a, a, a point where we do see partners that can reduce their their paid spend. It never goes away fully, right? That that's never the expectation. But there is a point where organic lead flow starts exceeding um, paid lead flow, right? Yeah. And that's really where you start unlocking value and. And, you know, it's really cool to see that where, where, you know, cost per enrollment really starts to drop um, and you free up budget to, you know, focus and expand in other areas or, you know, or, or we just really try to get that CPE down as low as we can. Like that's um, one thing I was going to just add, because, I mean, this is definitely your area of expertise, but, you know, the obviously I've, the goal should be putting the most of your budget into the lowest cost lead source yeah. that's really organic but that's a long-term strategy and it can take a while to get there but the thing that you said that really resonated and that i wanted to just speak to is this idea that if you have some really successful programs in organic that you can actually use to kind of fund help fund some of that paid search for mm. other programs i think some of the challenge there is like the decentralization of some of how how marketing works from program to program within an institution, but that can be another piece of that strategy is to say, we've got these three to four programs that we've got on organic, right? Like our SEO strategy is there, they're strong programs, we're generating a lot of organic leads. Let's put some of that marketing budget then into pumping up our paid search campaigns for these other programs and yeah. really have that strategy work together. Yeah, or, or even yeah. like, I'm thinking too, if like, if you've got a, a program page that's like ranking really well for like a number of of keywords you know finding ways to uh, splice in content to that program page of like a, a call out right to your to a related program like that prospects might also be interested in but that you don't have like a lot of earned traffic like like you're not ranking well right so maybe you've got like a an in-person msw that's ranking really well but your online msw program isn't like how do you take how, how do you leverage the the ranking page and insert like th yep. through content pathways links right and and call outs to your online program like how do you i, I feel like the, a lot of these things are super super easy to do like they're not hard and they can have an incredible meaningful meaningful impact on on your bottom line if done correctly zach that's a great call we call that internal linking and i think when you look at high impact low cost low effort opportunities from an SEO perspective, that is probably number one, especially at a larger institution. We can do an audit where we can find 30 opportunities for you to link from pages that are already generating traffic from adjacent programs that can help funnel free traffic over to your to your program. Right. Yeah. So I think I think that's a really, really good call. Um, and I think just, you know, as you understand what it'll take to be successful, I think the next step there is the internal linking the on-page SEO, the technical SEO elements, like for most schools, if 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 you can get that in place, if you can get those elements in place and make sure the foundation is is set well, you can probably increase your organic lead flow like five or ten percent. I yeah. bet just from doing that yeah. alone, Be because there's usually so many fundamental issues with these websites that are holding them back from capitalizing on being a .edu domain, which is besides a .gov, highest value that Google's going to look at. There's a ton of trust. Most institutions' websites are, you know, from the infancy of the internet. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of domain age. There's a lot of natural links pointed to them. You know, there's things we can do to capitalize on that history that are going to provide immense amount of value at really 
a extremely low cost, yeah. right? And it can be a, a one-time project that we can do and to, to you know, whoever you work with to, to add a ton of value. So getting that in place first is critical. We won't even entertain doing any content or link building until those elements are, are in place because we'd literally be, you know, we might as well burn burn the money that we'd be investing because <laughs> yeah. it, it literally won't do anything yeah. for you unless those elements are in place. Yeah, now I, uh, yeah, this is good. This, I, I, I love this stuff. And I, you know, forgive me for, for nerding out here, but it, it would be all, it would be pretty cool too to see like some correlation or like to, to, ch to chart out, right? Like, okay, once your program is ranking for X number of keywords, right? Like, here's how you should think about reducing your spend on paid search over, over a longer period of time. So like once you're ranking for five keywords, right. That are, that are keywords you want to be ranking for. Great. We, we can spend, you know, 25% less right on, on paid once it's 50, you know, you, you spend 50% less, et cetera. Like someone, yep. someone should do the work of like figuring that out roughly just cause I do think like at, at the program level, figuring out how to think through like, okay, what I'm spending now, but are my costs always just going to go up? Or like, what is, what is the, arc, mm -hmm. the arc of the cost? Like from here, like, you know, you start here, you're going to go here, but then eventually it's like a bell curve. You're going to, you're going to come back down and helping forecast that again, while not a perfect science by any means, I, th I think that, that that's doable. Like that, that, that can and, and, and should be done. Yep. So one thing I do is I, I kind of do some back of the napkin math that like when I'm talking with a partner and trying to help them understand the value or trying to help them sell it internally to justify the budget or, or what have you. So what I like to do and keep it really simple, right? You have three columns. Column one is your paid media, right? Which includes search and social. Column two is organic. Column three is the aggregate of the two, right? So you can show two models. You have one with just paid media, right? So you can see how much we can estimate how much traffic, how many leads, if you know your lead, you know, click to lead conversion rate, your lead to enrollment conversion rate, you can do some rough math to say, okay, we know we generate, if we spend this amount of money, we're going to generate this amount of traffic, this amount of leads, this amount of students, right? You add SEO into that, right? You, you know, in, in model two on, on the aggregate side, you're going to see that cost per lead or sorry, cost per enrollment drops significantly because you're not having to pump that yeah. hundred thousand yeah, dollars yeah. a month into paid media. So it's a, it's a really quick way on aggregate, not at the, you know, not at the level you're talking there, but I think it really helps show internally with an, a, 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 an investment, a fraction of what you would spend on paid media. You can generate X amount more enrollments at, you know, at 75% of the, the cost of yeah. acquisition. Right. So it's like a really easy way to, to show the impact of SEO. Um, and I, you know, I think it's just a matter of, of getting the right strategy in place and, and just having realistic expectations of when you're going to start seeing that month over month incremental growth. Yeah. Beautiful guys. This was fun. Um, I, I love this stuff and I think you guys have helped me my, my creative juices are flowing. So I've got, I've got so many ideas. This has been, this has been say, a blast. More podcast topic ideas. I know, I know. Up. We're going to have to have another, uh, yeah, just, just uh, the more the merrier. <laughs> I want to thank you both for your time. I know that you guys are both really busy people doing great things. So thanks for taking time to, to share 
some more of your thought leadership with us. For our listeners, again, this is podcast uh, episode number six of our Attention Retention series, which is a special podcast collaboration between Enrollify and Archer. If you want to learn more about Clayton, Angie, and the team and the great work that they do, you can scroll on down to the show notes and find links to their website, links to their respective social channels, uh, etc. So thanks, guys, so much for your time. It's been a blast. Thanks for having us, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Zach.